We're going to work through the book of Hosea for the next few weeks. And Hosea is one of my favorite minor prophets. This story is based on Katie's, Katie's favorite Bible verse comes out of the book of Hosea. We'll get there next week, actually. But he's an interesting dude. Because I heard someone say, outside of the crucifixion and resurrection, there's no greater display of God's love outside this book. And we call it, it's called boundless, God's relentless love. And we talk about God's love a lot. We sing songs about it. There's a song to me, I'm just going to say, I almost asked Becky to play it tonight, but it's, here's a new verb, for, here's a new word for you. It's been K-loved to me, which means it's been overplayed over and 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 over, and over again, right? Reckless love, right? I love that song. It's an incredible song. Think about the words. There's nothing that God will not do to go after you. There's nothing that God will do after you. He is reckless with his love. There is a big debate on YouTube. You can find this. There are pastors who are really bored during their day who talk about music. What songs should not be played? What songs should be played in church? It's quite fascinating whenever you're really bored and want to watch something. And these guys are like literally sitting there debating whether reckless love should be ever in church because God's not reckless with this love. That's just not a, that's not a godly term. Reckless isn't really good. Reckless means something bad. But it's like, you ever think about what that song means? What does reckless mean to you guys? Anybody? Crazy. What else? What? Limitless. What else? Huh? Can't hear you. How can you not hear me? I literally cannot hear what you say. We'll go with it. Whatever Dave said. No, I see, when I think of reckless, I, my mind goes to sports, okay? And there are people whose like, sports career, I think, will be ended shortly because they're reckless with their bodies. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Like, there are guys, like, where's Alex Tommy? Where'd you go? So, Bryce Harper, right? Plays outfield, but what did he play beforehand? Catcher. He was an amazing catcher in high school. Phenomenal catcher. He was the up-and-coming best catching prospect that we've seen in a long time. But they thought his body would not be able to take it because he's reckless in how he plays. Like, he does not care to go diving headfirst anywhere. And he would throw in the outfield, and he like runs into walls, he runs into everything. He's reckless with his body. That's where my mind goes. God being reckless with his love. He's going to do anything just to tell you how much he loves you guys. Do you guys realize how much you are loved? We read a passage earlier. Sarah read it. I'm going to read it again. Thank you, Sarah, for reading it. I'm going to read it one more time. I love this passage. If you've been around me long enough, I'll read it about monthly. Ephesians chapter 3. It says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Perfect. Keep going. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you be rooted and grounded in what? Love. Love. May have the strength to comprehend. What does comprehend mean? To understand. Not just to know, but to understand. Knowing and comprehending are two very different things. You have to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Paul wants everyone to know and comprehend how much God loves you. And you guys remember growing up, and I'm sure this is one of the most quoted Bible verses in all of the scriptures. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the, what? That He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. Did you catch what it says there in John 3, 16? For God, what? So loved. So loved. 
puts a little more emphasis on it, doesn't it? You ever have someone, you ever experience that idea? It's almost, I'm not putting Jesus in an annoying case here, but it's almost annoying with your love. That they love you so much that they go to great extremes just to show you how much they love you. You don't understand what I'm saying. Imagine your parents and the great lengths that they go to show you how much they love you. When you were born, you have no idea how many pictures of you were floating around the internet. They were always taking pictures of you all the time to post on Twitter or MySpace back in the day, whatever your parents did. I don't know what you did. But your picture was everywhere. It's constantly filling up your phone. Those of you who have small children now, like how many pictures of your, the Postway kids are in your phone? A lot of them, right? I'm different. We have a lot of cat pictures and dog pictures. But right now, if you go home to our house, there are baby photos, the sonogram photos, all over our fridge, everywhere. Like, everything, all these magnets are going off, all these pictures are going up. Because we already love this girl to death. We love this girl. She's not even born yet. But we're crazy about her. It's the same thing. Now imagine you guys who are playing sports. The one who just gets so excited when you do something great in the soccer field. The one who's maybe, as you're running the 4x4, the one that your dad might be running along this track with you, on along the fence line, just hyping you up. They are going to great lengths to show you how much that they love you, because they so love you. Do you guys comprehend this? How much Jesus loves you? Outside the cross, the best image that we can ever see is in the book of Hosea. But here's what I want you guys to take away. The number one thing I want you guys to take away. If you want to experience this love, you will never experience this perfect love while your love is misplaced. You will never experience the perfect love of Jesus if your love is misplaced. Here's what I mean by that. That word, love, is thrown around in culture today. It's a fascinating idea. Movies are everywhere. Every November, December, it's all Hallmark wants to talk about. It's the same plot over and over again. Then you get into February, and they make all these stupid chick flicks, all how the same love story over and over again. Nothing's new anymore. Yes, thank you, Ryan. But we're fascinated with these love stories, right? They're everywhere. Everyone, I know guys, you guys' favorite movie back there is a notebook, right? That's some, you better believe it. We love love stories. It's even a word that we throw around quite a bit. We throw that word around quite a bit. Like, there's a lot of people where I'll say, I love you, man. Hudson, love you, dude. Right? We throw that word around. Do we? Must have, except I, do, I mean it. How often do we actually even mean it? Because so often what we do, we misplace our love. Here's what I mean. We want to find love in everything. We want to find love in everything. We want to find love in what we do. We want to find love in how we dress. We want to find love in how we look. We want to find love in our acceptance. We want to find love in every single thing. But guess what? Every single one of those things are going to fail you. And you'll never get the love back. Do you know how much it hurts when you are constantly pouring out your love and you're not getting it back? That hurts. It hurts. Imagine constantly pouring out your love. You're being reckless with your love. When you're being reckless with your love, that means that you're loving someone so much that they're not even getting it back, so it's almost like you're wasting your time with that. That's what we're talking about when we say reckless love. Some might say God in His reckless love is wasting His time on humanity because we're never going to love Him back the way He loves us. That's what the idea of reckless love is. But it hurts whenever we do not get the love back in return. 
Hosea chapter 1. This is 700 years before Jesus ever walked the earth. 700 years. And he is a prophet. He goes to the northern kingdom of Israel. And he's prophesying to these people. Now prophets were held up in high esteem. People loved them. They, they wanted to hear what they had to say. They wanted to know what they were called to do. Most of the time, a prophet would come in and call them to redemption. Call them to repentance. Call them to come back to their love. But here, we find something different. A lot of times with prophets, their lives were meant to display something. God was going to use them in their circumstances to display something. Which happens a lot in Scripture. Becky actually talked about this this morning. When Jesus healed the blind man. That it was so that Christ's work might be displayed in him. Right? But listen to this story. Actually, start in chapter, verse 2. This is a bunch of names. When the Lord spoke to Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take yourself a wife of whoredom, and have children of whoredom. He just said, hey, I know you're a prophet. I know you are a holy man. Go marry a prostitute. Whoops. There's a question you guys are going to ask this a little bit later. Swaggers. What is the, think about this. Start thinking now. What is the craziest thing anyone's ever asked you to do? Think about that. You are a, put yourself in Isaiah's standpoint. You are a priest, or no, excuse me, you're a prophet. God wants to use you. God wants to allow you to speak, to call people to repentance. He's going to use you in mighty ways. He's like, hey, but by the way, I want you to go marry somebody. Okay, who? Well, um, I don't know how to describe her. Other verse, other translations say she's promiscuous. Other translations say she's an adulteress. Some just call her a whore. Think about that. That is a difficult thing to wrap your mind around. And then it gives on. It says, Take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom with them. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. What he just told him, I want you to marry this adulterous woman because my people have been adulterous with me. I want your marriage to show what it's like being married to my people of Israel. And it goes on into verse 3. So he went and took Gomer. Gomer! My gosh! Her name is Gomer. He took Gomer, the daughter of the blame, the father's the blame, get it? Uh, uh, and she, I want you to pay real close attention to the next few verses. And she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Call his name Jezreel. For in just a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of Israel. Cool name. Now on that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Keep going. Close attention. She conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Call her name No Mercy. For I will no more have mercy on the house of Israel to forgive them at all. But I will have mercy on the house of Judah, and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by the bow, or by the sword, or by the war, or by the horses, or by horsemen. When she had weaned no mercy, she conceived and bore a son. The Lord said, Call his name, not my people. For you are not my people, and I am not your God. How many children did they just have? Three. How many of them were Hosea's? I have three of them. Did you all catch the wording? Zero. 
1. If you read what it says, it says in verse 4, and the Lord said, or excuse me, verse 3, so she conceived and bore him a son. Never again does it say conceived and bore him a daughter, bore him a son. This woman that he is married to is promiscuous and adulterous woman. We don't know what her life was like before, but she's already being labeled that. We can somewhat speculate. She did not have the best reputation before he got married to her. Imagine the tabloids. I mean, we are blown up right now that there might be a divorce coming in the royal family. Right? He has followed me in stories. Like, that's all we talked about at FCS on Friday. That they, there's a rumor going around about the Middleton or whatever, and Harry, and whatever one that is. Do you remember how big of a deal that royal wedding was? People stayed up like 5 o'clock in the morning to watch a royal wedding. They didn't even know who these people are, but they wanted to watch the wedding. Imagine the tabloid, hey, great holy prophet marrying a prostitute named Gomer. Now, his reputation is now on the line, right? He's this woman who's already had a reputation of being a promiscuous woman. Now he's married to her. And they have a son. Oh, great. All life is great. They're now having children. Their marriage is fantastic. Oh, wait, she's pregnant again. Wait a second. Jose, is that... Is that yours? He says... If, if her name was going to be... Call her no mercy. For I have no mercy in the house of Israel. I, 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 I don't know. That's a, that's a great name. No mercy. Call my child no mercy. And so Isaiah is saying, I don't even know if I want to have mercy on this child. I don't know. It's the Lord speaking, but it's speaking to Isaiah. Then he goes on to say, then they had a third child. And everyone's like, Isaiah, we know the first one kind of looks like you. Is the second, is the, is the third one yours? What does Isaiah do? What does it say? Did he leave? Did he stay married to her? Imagine being a prophet, a holy person of God, and God says, I want you to marry a prostitute, a wife of boredom. And you're going to have three children. Two of them may not even be yours. We don't know. And I want you to marry her. And I want you to keep preaching to people. He's probably thinking, that's, not, that's going to hurt my witness a little bit, isn't it? I'm gonna be up there. I'm gonna be up there at the temple preaching. And I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I supposed to speak about repentance and I have this woman at home? How am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to keep? Li- uh, what am I supposed to do? God, you called me to do this. Why did you call me to do this? And he had a reason for everything he did. But let's talk about Gomer a little bit. Her name means complete. Complete. That's not a big deal. Her name is being complete. We look to find our love in a lot of things. Clearly, Gomer was trying to find acceptance and love by placing her body on the line. She was willing to objectify herself for the pleasures of men to find completion. You think about this. She was willing to objectify herself so people would love her. This is where she was trying to find her love. This is where she was misplacing her love. She has children. And the, the demonstration that God was doing with Hosea and Gomer did not just stop with them. He's like, I'm going to use you guys as an example, but I'm also going to use your three children by the names I give her, by giving them. Jezreel, the first child, means coming judgment. That's probably not number one on the baby list this year. No one's calling their child coming judgment. The second child was Lo Ruahama, 
which means no mercy. The other one, lo, on me, or Amy, not my children. God is looking at Israel saying, hey, you want to know how faithful I am? I am married to you, and you are chasing after every single thing. You are putting your love in idols. You are putting your love in your, your fantasies. You're putting love in your bodies. You're putting love in acceptance. You're putting love in all these other things to the point where there is judgment coming for you. Woo. Not only is there judgment, there is no more mercy. I'm done. He imagined Hosea is probably thinking, I don't know if I can continue doing this. And God's up there going, yeah, there's no more mercy. Ouch. We sing songs about this reckless love and you hear God saying, no more mercy. But the hardest one for me is in verse 8, or excuse me, verse 9. The Lord said, call his name, not my people. Israel was known as the people of God. They were God's chosen people and God's now looking at them and says, you're not my people anymore. Ooh. If I'm not God's people, do I not have God's love? If I'm not God's people, do I not have God's protection? If I'm not God's people, do I not have God's provisions? Imagine what's going through Hosea's mind as he's hearing these names that God is telling him to call his children. But the best part of this entire story of Hosea, do you know what Hosea means? It's another name. This name has been used a couple different ways in the Old Testament. Hosea also can be translated to Joshua. It can also be translated to Jesus, which can be translated to Savior. Hosea means Savior. Do you think God knows what he's doing? Yes. He's going to use a man, a holy man, to go out and pursue this faithless, adulterous woman to show how a Savior would one day come and pursue a faithless and adulterous people. It's an amazing story, but look what he does in verse 10 to the end. Of, or verse 1, chapter 2. Sorry, verse 10. Yet the number of the children of Israel, that word yet means a big thing. It's like the word but in the of Scripture. You need to understand what just happened right before that. So after all this, after all the names that they've been given these children, it says, yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured in number. What he just now says, you are not my people, you have no mercy, but yet the people of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured. God's not contradicting himself here. He's not going backwards on his promise. God's still providing for his people, but he's using Hosea to show this. And the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. You may not be not my people, but there will come a time when you will be children of God. And the children of Judah and the children of Israel shall be gathered together, and they shall appoint themselves one head. Do you think that one is? Jesus. And they shall go up from the land, for the great shall be the day of Jezreel. In verse 1 of chapter 2. Say to, say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. God chose a prophet to display his perfect love, the love that we all want. And he chose this prophet to go marry this woman who had all kinds of issues. All kinds of issues. He was going to display this perfect and boundless love, this reckless love. You know why it's reckless in this? Because over and over again, we see Gomer constantly stepping out. 
leaving, going to be with other people. She was still trying to find love in every other thing except for the one she's now married to. She's trying to find the satisfaction, but, but Jose still keeps going after her, keeps pursuing her, keeps loving her. Some would call that reckless. Why, go, Hosea, why, why do you keep doing this? Why do you keep going after her? In chapter 2 and chapter 3, she actually leaves. We'll get to this next week. He actually finds her on auction. He finds her being sold off. She's out basically in the red light district. Being sold off. Being prostituted. And he goes after her still. But you got to imagine everyone's going, Jose, why, why are you doing this? Why do you keep putting up with this? Dude, have you ever heard of FarmersOnly.com? Like, go over there. Like, there's better options. He's like, no, 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 no. I love her, and I'm going to keep pursuing her. Why? Why this marriage? Why this story? Have you figured out yet who you are in the story? Let me tell you, you guys are not Hosea. Every single one of us, if we're going to relate to one person in this story, we are Gomer. You might go, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not a prostitute. I'm just an eight-year-old, eight or eight-year-old. That's not my thing. No. But we are constantly misplacing our love in every other thing, aren't we? We keep going out looking for love, looking for satisfaction, looking for the name of Gomer, completion. We want to be made whole. We want to be made right. But how often do we ever go back to the one who actually gave us this perfect love? Most of the time we don't. We never go back. John chapter 1, when Jesus finally came, when the real Savior, Jesus, came. John chapter 1 verse 10. It says, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, but yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His people did not receive Him. Jesus, the Savior of the world, came to the world. The world did not know Him, nor did they receive Him. It says, but all who did receive Him became children of God. Just like we said earlier in Isaiah chapter 1. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory. It says a little bit earlier that the true light came to a dark world, but yet the world did not recognize it. The true Savior came to earth. God says, these are my people. Yes, they are broken. Yes, they are adulterous. Yes, they're chasing after idols. They're doing all these different things. They're going after every other thing. They're misplacing their love and everything that will never matter. But Jesus, that's your bride. I too, I want you to marry. I want you to go get them. So Jesus comes, and he comes to his people. He, speak, he speaks for three years. He humbles himself, as we read in Philippians chapter 2, if you were in there at SCS on Friday. He humbled himself, taking the form of a servant. He humbled himself, he became obedient to death on the cross. He did all that just to show his bride how much he loves her. And as we celebrate communion a lot, you've heard me say this a couple times probably, that when Jesus was there in the Last Supper with his followers, the cup that he extends, that communion cup was actually the third cup that was used at Passover. That third cup was actually the cup that would be used when a man wanted to propose. He'd go to the girl's 
parents and say, I want to marry your daughter, so when I, as I'm going to do this, I'm going to enter into a covenant with you, mom and dad, as well as your daughter. I will protect her, I'll provide for her. If they agree, the boy would leave, not to see the wife until the wedding day. He'd go back to his mom and dad's house and build an extension onto the mom and dad's house. That's not that great. Just thought about that. Build an extension on mom and dad's house. And then the, the son would go back to his own father and say, is this ready? Does this meet your requirements? Am I ready to go back and get her? Can I go get her? Imagine the excitement of getting ready to go back for your bride. You may not have seen her in three or four months or six months or two years or five years, however long your engagement was, or how bad your carpentry skills were, right? He says, finally, the father goes, go get your bride. And he'd come back into town. There would be a guy who would go before him, most likely the best man. Go before him and say, the, the groom is coming. The groom is coming. Get ready. And this massive parade would take place as the groom would come into his town and they would see his bride ready to be married. And they would get married and they'd go back and live in that extension onto the house. There's a story when Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms, mansions. The word can actually be translated to the same thing he's talking about. Extensions onto my father's house. When he broke when he came and broke bread and took the juice or the, the wine with his followers and he took that covenant act, what he said was, you are my bride. I am proposing to you. You are going to be my people. There was a time when you were not my people. There was a time when you, were, you did not have mercy. But now you have mercy. Now you have blood. I will be your groom. You will be my bride. I'm going to go. I'm going to go. And I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You won't know when I'm coming. You won't know when I'm coming back for you. But there will be a day where I will come back. I promise you. And just to show how much you mean, I mean, you mean to me, here's what great lengths I'm going to go to show this. In John 13, 1, it says, And Jesus loved him to the full extent. The full extent of his love was displayed. He went to the cross for you, but he didn't just stay on that cross. He went down to the tomb for you, but he didn't just stay in the tomb three days later. He came up out of that tomb so that when he goes to his father's house, he is ready to come back and get a place for you ready. So when he comes back at the end of our, his, at our days, hopefully in our lifetime, I just, want to, I just really want to see that. He's going to come back. He's going to grab Hudson Meisel. He's going to grab Elvin Ball. He's going to grab the rest of you too. I'm just using another example. He's going to grab all of us. And there's a special place ready for you. It might say, Logan White on top of your door. This is his. This is just for you. That he has gone through great lengths. But remember, we are Gomer. We don't deserve any of that. <coughs> Go back to Ephesians, as we said earlier. Do we understand and comprehend the breadth, the depth, the heights of that great love for us? When we constantly misplace our love, we will never experience that perfect love. If you want to experience the perfect love that is Jesus Christ himself, we will never experience it to its full if we are constantly misplacing our love. In what you do, in what you wear, and who you date, where you go to college, you will never find the full satisfaction you're looking for outside of Jesus Christ. If you want to find a perfect example, look at Gomer. She tried to find love in all the wrong places. She's trying to find love in every other man outside of her own husband. 
She never found it. But Hosea kept pursuing her. Next week, where we're going from here tonight, we're just going to talk about this misplaced love, how we will never experience that perfect love if we're constantly misplacing that love, right? But next week, I would like to say the story gets better for everybody, but it actually gets a little worse. Because you would think, oh, that is so sweet of Hosea to keep chasing after her and keep winning over. But she keeps running and running and running. She constantly forgets how great it was for Hosea. Next week, we're going to talk about forgotten love. And what I want to focus on next week is those of us who have been in the church most of our lives, it is so easy to forget our first love. It is so easy to forget where we've come from. It's so easy to forget all the blessings that God has bestowed upon us as we live this life. And whenever we forget where God has brought, whenever whenever we forget that love that God has for us, what we end up doing is going right back to step one where we are this week. We start misplacing our love again, just like Gomer. She kept forgetting her love, and then the week after that, this is when the story gets really good. That Hosea actually goes back, sees his wife. On the auction block, and he buys her, buys his own wife, and he basically marries her again and renews his vows with her again, constantly showing how much this perfect love that God has for a messed up people it is a phenomenal book. It is going to be great the next few weeks. I hope you guys enjoy it. But come back to this you will never experience this perfect love while your love is misplaced. The band's going to come up here in a second, and then we'll break uh, for small groups. We'll go back to the question I asked you earlier. What's the craziest thing someone's ever asked you to do? And then after you think about that question, go back to the next question on the bottom. If you put yourself in the position of Hosea, that crazy thing may not sound so crazy anymore. But God displayed His perfect love on the cross. Outside of that, there may not be a may not be a greater story than the book of Hosea. That's what we talk about when we sing about how much God loves us, that amazing love, that reckless love. I hope you guys can fully comprehend.